Today is Tuesday, May 4th, and you are listening to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. My name is Claudio Mendoza, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Coming up, millions of Americans have received their first shot of a COVID-19 vaccine, but haven't returned for their second dose. The California Report interviews Dr. Stephen Perotti, executive director of the Permanente Group at Kaiser Permanente, about this phenomenon. Then, we'll look at regional headlines and weather before this week's Water News with Steve Baker. We close tonight with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti about the stock market and how despite investors' best efforts, no one can be certain of the market's direction. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Multiple California counties are on the cusp of transitioning into the least restrictive reopening tier when COVID-19 numbers are released by the state later today. Counties from L.A. to San Francisco to Marin and Trinity are all in a good position to make that transition. Dr. Monica Gandhi is a professor at UCSF and specializes in infectious disease. What we've been doing right is increasing our vaccination rate and having very high uptake of vaccines. Um, So if you look at the country at large, uh, they're at about a 44% first dose rate. Um, But in places like L.A. County, they're at a 54% first dose rate, age of uh, 16 or older. And here in the Bay Area, we're actually in San Francisco at a 72% first dose of vaccine rate. There are still quite a few counties in the more limiting red tier. Dr. Gandhi says that's not a surprise, as it's only been a few weeks since the state expanded eligibility to everyone that's 16 and older. People really trust their physicians and their long-standing office. So I think when we get vaccines in that setting, we'll see people have that one-on-one conversation that sometimes is needed with your healthcare provider to help persuade you about, okay, yeah, these are really incredibly effective and safe vaccines. Meantime, it looks like the federal government is about to authorize the Pfizer vaccine for kids 12 and older. An announcement could come by next week. A growing number of people in the millions, according to the CDC, have received their first shot of a COVID-19 vaccine, but have not returned for their second dose. There's no one answer as to why people are skipping that second vaccination. Some are worried about side effects. Others just miss their appointments. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with Dr. Stephen Perotti, executive director of the Permanente Group at Kaiser Permanente. He asked him how concerned we should be. I'll tell you, as an infectious disease specialist, I am concerned about it. And we definitely want people to get their best shot at getting full protection. So we know that if you get the second dose, it works better. Um, So if you want that full efficacy for both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to get to that 95, 94% efficacy, you need those two doses. Do we know how much more effective it is to get the second dose rather than a person who has only gotten one dose of the vaccines? You know, it actually has not been fully studied. uh, But the way I would answer this question for you is twofold. One is that that second dose boosts actually a second part of your immune system. So we've been focused a lot on neutralizing antibodies. Those are like the, you know, infantry that goes in and fights off the infection when it first shows up. 
But the second part of our immune system is having memory, um, remembering um, that if you get hit with the coronavirus later on, that your immune system can rush back in. And that second dose is now being shown to actually activate that second part of your immune system. The other thing I'll just say is that your immune system needs training. So the way I like to think of this is that, you know, when we all went to school, it's one thing to read about something. It's another thing to memorize it. And so think of that second dose as us being able to memorize that that coronavirus, when we get hit with it, we're ready to go ahead and fight it off. Is there a specific timetable for when people can get their second dose? For example, um, most of the people have been about three weeks to a month. If it's, say, two months, can people still get it? And will that second dose still be as effective as normal? There have been limited studies looking at this. Um, So, you know, the recommendation is for both the Pfizer and Moderna products that you get them, you know, the second dose at the time that's recommended. So for Pfizer, it's three weeks. For Moderna, it's four weeks. Uh, The CDC has actually put out some guidance saying that really even out to six weeks from your first dose, um, that you should go ahead and get that second dose. If people continue to not get the second dose, is there a concern that with these new variants, infections could start to crop up again and we may lose that opportunity to have that herd immunity? Yeah, so the the concern here are twofold. One is that um, on the individual level, a person's going to have a lower level of immunity and less of a potential response if, say, they get farther out from that first dose, that they're not going to have those protective memory cells um, to prevent an infection. The second, on a larger public health level, is that this could contribute to more transmission of the virus, which then leads to more variants cropping up. And of course, we're in really a race of the vaccine versus the variants. Um, And so the more vaccine we get out there with full immunity, the less transmission, the less variants, the less resistance to vaccines. That was Dr. Stephen Perotti, an infectious disease specialist and associate executive director with the Permanente Medical Group at Kaiser Permanente. Dr. Perotti, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. And that was my colleague, the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi, conducting that interview. Cities and counties across the state continue to shift gears when it comes to getting the COVID-19 vaccine into the arms of residents. In L.A., a citywide alert was sent to cell phones yesterday to remind people to get the vaccine. The city is also expanding hours at many of its vaccination sites, which will now be open six days a week rather than just Monday through Friday. In Sacramento County, health officials say residents can now get a shot of the Pfizer vaccine at one of two drive through sites without an appointment. The county has seen a few thousand appointment slots go unfilled at these sites in the last week. And here in the Bay Area, while larger sites remain open, many counties are focusing on mobile clinics to get the vaccines to people who haven't yet gotten a shot. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. The law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at perkinscoie.com. 
and Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, May 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening, and may the 4th be with you. Rancho Santa Fe businessman John Cox, a Republican who wants to replace Governor Gavin Newsom, kicked off a three-day bus tour today with a special guest, a thousand-pound grizzly bear named Tag. Mr. Cox, who ran unsuccessfully for governor in 2018, is asking Californians to choose him in the upcoming recall election, promising to lower taxes and expand energy production here in the Golden State. The Sacramento Bee reports today that four counties have been promoted into looser COVID-19 tiers this morning thanks to vast improvements in infection numbers, including two of the state's major urban hubs. Los Angeles, San Francisco, along with Trinity County, advanced from the orange tier into the yellow. Inyo County also advanced from red to orange. Marin County, which became eligible to join the yellow tier this week, instead saw its case rates spike and will remain in orange. Yuba County, the only other county that had been in a position for a promotion, also fell short and will stay in the red tier for at least two more weeks. Nevada County recorded five new cases today and will remain in the red tier. According to the union, the staff at Docomo's have been working consecutive 12- to 14-hour days to help immunize Nevada County. Owner David Docomo's saying, quote, We knew we needed to set up and create a COVID-19 vaccine clinic rather than wait for the large corporate drugstores to eventually begin taking vaccination appointments. We just needed to find a way to do it without losing a ton of money, end quote. The pharmacy rented the former Old Republic Brewery below its Nevada City location, and for the last three months, David and Kelly Docomos, along with their daughter Jackie, have logged long hours during the day at the clinic and then worked late into the evening to keep their Grass Valley and Nevada City pharmacies up and running. Their clinic, which vaccinates an average of 1,000 people per week, was on track to administer its 10,000th vaccine at the end of last week. In regional weather, dangerous fire conditions continue with above-normal temperatures and low humidity. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear, with a low around 56. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high near 84. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, clear, with a low around 38. Tomorrow will be sunny, with a high near 74. And for the valley, woodland and Sacramento, tonight, Also clear, with a low around 60 degrees. Tomorrow, sunny and hot, with a high near 94. With growing concerns about drought, Paul Emery asks hydrogeologist Steve Baker how current conditions compare to dry spells of the past. Today's edition of Water News with Steve Baker is brought to you by Clearwater Infiltration on Rough and Ready Highway in Grass Valley. There's a lot of talk about drought lately. 
So how are people comparing this drought to past droughts in California, you know, even ones we've had during our time here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Marin County, they seem to be having a little deja vu experience. Uh, Their water suppliers are restricting use right now to conserve reservoir water. The ranchers, well, they're preparing to truck water because they expect creeks and some of their wells to be going dry. And then they're talking about a potential water pipeline to be brought in as well. And you know what? All these things happened during the 1976-77 drought. Okay, I don't know if you recall that or not, but but those were two years of drought that were exceedingly dry. I mean, really dry. And uh, it's I guess it's appearing, at least in some parts of our state, uh, in that way right now, certainly in Marin County. And on that year, Marin Municipal Water District, they got within 120 days of running out of water. It was really, really close. The governor uh, at that time, well, right now, the governor proclaimed a regional drought emergency for the Russian River watershed. So we're talking about in Sonoma and Mendocino counties. That's what's happening right now. And what's good about proclaiming a drought emergency, if there's something good in this, it's um, it means that there will be funding for water supply enhancements, for conservation, for species protection projects, for tracking domestic water shortages, you know, of wells going dry, uh, supporting ag economies, stuff like that. There's funds that become available for that. All, all that stuff is important. And then, of course, parts of the Central Valley are really hurting. Uh, they were already uh, told that they'll be receiving 10% of their allocated water, their water rights. And that was reduced in half yet again. So now they have, uh, they're expecting a 5% allocation, extremely low. I mean, how do you grow our food with 5% of the desired water? Well, that's pretty. Uh, that's getting low. Pretty stunning number. Uh, what do you think um, our governor Newsom is going to declare a statewide drought emergency? Uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him right now. Uh, senator, there's a state senator, Andreas uh, Borges. He's a Republican from Fresno, and he's he's led he's leading a bipartisan coalition of elected officials, and they're trying to convince Governor Newsom that a drought emergency is consistent with the science, and it's also consistent with the data that's coming out this year. They're concerned that Porterville, we talked about Porterville before, that southeastern part of Central Valley, their wells were going dry, you know, back in the, in the last uh, drought, and they're concerned that this will happen yet again. The coalition also pointed out that, hey, during the pandemic, this, this past year and a half, uh, it really caused a lot of devastation in their communities. And yet the farmers still continued to harvest food, which helped those very same people. And they want to continue with that kind of support. But how do you do it without much water? 5% allocation. They're not sure. Uh, the farmers uh, also are letting everybody know that, you know, let's not forget 1974. There was a global food crisis at that time, and they don't want to repeat the mistakes that happened way back then. It seems like it could really be a slippery slope, Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people are impacted by drought, other non-water-related conditions can come into play. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Well, okay. Well, I mean, we've talked about this before, uh, COVID-19, right? People lost their jobs, lost their incomes. How do you pay the water bill? Uh, that's been a real problem. So who picks up the tab? Well, the municipalities pick up the tab, at least for now. They foot the bill, and, and that takes money away from funding things like drought response. Uh, people are losing their residential groundwater wells in certain areas because wells are starting to dry up. 
And um, and what do they usually do? Well, they usually look to the counties and the cities to help them out. And, um, you know, with the temporary supply, but are these counties and cities really ready? It's a funding and it's a logistical problem that we're, we're up against as these perfect storms develop. When, when too many challenges happen, um, you know, sometimes our good responses can, can break down. So that's why really our governance at times, uh, you know, we, we seek a big brother. Could be the state, could be the feds. Our, you know, just depends. But that, that is what we lean on as our backstop when these problems start developing. Are we having similar situations here? I think we're very lucky, in, certainly in Nevada County. Our greatest concerns this year are wildfires, not so much water shortage. I would say that assuming that our community in the foothills is really diligent about conserving water this year, we're going to be fine. Uh, but don't take, don't take our watershed for granted. You know, we have a minimal snowpack, and, and of course, there are exports. Our water demands continue to be there. And uh, this can take a toll on our area during a serious drought, as, as it is. So pay attention, everybody. Pay attention and exercise some frugalness when you're using your water this summer. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at stevebaker at operationunite.co. Next, let's listen to a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. With the stock market seemingly pushing record highs with every passing week, investors and analysts alike are concerned about a coming market correction. Although forecasting market absolutes when it comes to stocks is a fool's errand. Investors and financial professionals sniff about looking for clues which might indicate something wicked this way comes in the way of the markets. In other words, everyone is looking for the holy grail in investing, which are recognizing possible signs of major correction might be in the cards. When one has been looking at the markets for decades, as I have, one does start to notice clues as to what a correction might be manifesting itself. Cataloging what precedes market crashes in the past may give hints as to what may happen in the future. Although no one can absolutely predict market direction, nevertheless, much like dark clouds may precede a rainstorm, markets may tend to exhibit specific signs of stress before sell-offs, which often, but not always, signal portfolio risk is on the increase. Bonds, which are simply IOUs, tend to move opposite of stocks, and this is the reason it is commonplace to have a mix of both in a portfolio. Keeping that in mind, if bond prices start to rise, it may be a signal investors are attempting to mitigate some stock risk for whatever reason. The specific reason is not important and may not even be known. What is important is investors may be beginning to sense some sort of danger in the market environment and swapping out stocks for bonds. Consumer staple stocks, the companies that make the basic necessities of life, tend to rise when market risk increases as investors move toward things that are less discretionary to consumers. For instance, if times get tough, one may not eat out as often, but still have to buy toilet paper and light bulbs. Companies that make packaged foods and cereal are also thought to be a more defensive holding when things get dicey. Investors tend to shun the growth stocks in lieu of the old stodgy type of stocks that have been around for decades, making the things that people 
have to buy instead of things they want to buy. If stocks fall and then continue to fall over a prolonged period of time, this can indicate the wind is coming out of market sales and that the momentum may have shifted from a previous euphoric period to a down period. Stocks of utility companies might rise more than normal and fixed income holdings may increase as risk increases. Fixed income refers to preferred stocks, bonds, treasury funds, which are government IOUs, and securities that offer a fixed interest rate instead of a allure of a rising stock price. Precious metal prices may also start to rise when intrepid investors get the willies. There are non-stock indicators as well as those that don't specifically center around what investors are buying or selling that may also give clues to the investor sentiment of the day. Interest rates may start to rise indicating money is getting tight as investors are not so eager to lend out their money and are demanding higher interest rates to do so. There are also fear and volatility indexes and they may rise prior to market problems. Contrarian indicators, things that typically occur during market tops, can also signal things have gone too far too fast. Margin debt, which is the amount of money borrowed to buy stocks that an investor has money, can reach historically high levels, which may also indicate excessive speculation. This can occur during times of extreme optimism which can be a precursor to market sell-offs. Although seemingly contrary to common sense, markets tend to reverse down when everybody thinks the market can do nothing but go up. Along these same contrarian lines, markets tend to stop falling when everyone is jumping out the window, so to speak, which signals investor capitulation and extreme market despair. Figuratively speaking, there may be a variety of lights and bells and whistles that can signal something is up or soon to be down as the case may be. Although no indicator nor a variety of indicators can forecast market direction with 100% accuracy to the astute investor and or advisor, there may be events in the past that preceded a market crash, which may very well be signaling once again that the markets are getting ready to change direction and quite possibly in a very big way. That's it for today's Money Matters. The opinions expressed here are my own and do not necessarily reflect those of any bank, investment advisory firm, this station, its staff management, or underwriters. Nothing is to be construed as investment advice. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California insurance license OL34249 and I'm a Medicare-approved agent in the state of California. My name is Mark Cuniverti. That concludes tonight's newscast. You can hear it again on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. For their generous support, KVMR thanks Zelmer Law Group, a real estate and business law firm with offices in Nevada City and Santa Rosa. Jay Zelmer has been practicing law in California since 1983. More information online at zelmerlawgroup.com. Dot com and Meze Eatery, family-owned organic conscious foods on Mill Street in Grass Valley, offering Mediterranean, Middle Eastern cuisine, locally farmed ingredients for daily scratch-made pitas, falafel, baba ganoush, hummus, and salads. Online pre-order recommended, M-E-Z-E Eatery.com. Stick around. Educationally Speaking is next. Tonight, a panel of guests will be talking about SEL, or social-emotional learning. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendonca. 
We'll see you tomorrow.